Chapter Six of Secret History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Secret History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley by Charles Norris Williamson and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter Six There was desolation at alvarado springs in the hotel and in the super cottages people when i say people i mean women didn't come to alvarado to drink the celebrated waters or to admire the wonderful scenery they came to play with the officers and now the bravest and best-looking were to be snatched from them what had happened or what might happen was a mystery to mere civilians but it was whispered about that possibly there might be real fighting at El Paso. There must have been, everybody said, something serious under the rumors of a threatened attack from across the Rio Grande. Otherwise, government would not be sending troops to reinforce the large garrison at Fort Bliss, or be offering to take women and children away from the river towns in armored trains, if desired. Cavalry and infantry were moving south from other army posts, we heard, to guard the concentration camp of Mexican refugee prisoners at El Paso, and to beat back a rabble of invaders, if need came. The order reached Alvarado late in the afternoon, and the batteries were to leave by train at four o'clock the next morning. As it happened, Kitty Maine, Father, Di, and I were all invited to a dance that evening at the house of an officer and his wife, Captain and Mrs. Kilborn. But when the news about the batteries going away began to flash from cottage to cottage, we expected the party to be given up. Di looked rather blank when Mrs. Maine flung the tidings at her, for Sidney Van Dyke hadn't proposed yet. If the dance were abandoned, he might be too busy getting his men ready to see her before he left, and heaven alone knew when the batteries would come back. There might be fighting there might at worst even be war with mexico and whatever happened we couldn't stay on indefinitely at alvarado kitty maine had taken the cottage and asked us to visit her only for six weeks besides alvarado would be desolate without our best friends and possible lovers i could see these thoughts developing and following on one another's heels in diana's mind but in my head there was nothing concrete enough to call a thought. Feelings seemed to have raced upstairs from heart to brain and driven ideas out of the house. They ran wildly round and round, saying to each other, What if I never see him again? What if he should be killed? But while we were in this state, Mrs. Kilburn telephoned to Kitty Maine, but she had decided to have her dance in spite of all. Her husband was not among those ordered away, and the officers who were going had arranged to spare time to look in for three or four dances in any case. Some of them might be very early, some very late, but there would be plenty of other men to go round. And Mrs. Kilburn suggested that we might keep things up long enough to see the soldiers off at dawn, before motoring back to the springs, if that would interest Lady Diana and Lady Peggy O'Malley. 
There was only one answer to this, and when we went over to Fort Alvarado for the dance, we put on warmer cloaks than we should have worn ordinarily. Mrs. Kilburn had brought her husband money, and as she loved gaiety, she had somehow got permission to build onto the captain's quarters a ballroom surrounded on three sides by a wide veranda. Consequently, a dance at the Kilburns was worth going to always, and particularly on this moonlight night of April, when the whole fort was humming with excitement. The officers who were ordered away had their hands full of work, yet the young ones managed to get off duty, if only for a few minutes, long enough to snatch a dance or two with the girls they liked best, or to sit out with them on the veranda, where there were colonies of chairs and garden seats and hammocks. Tony Dalziel was one of those who came early to the Kilburns. He had asked me beforehand for six dances, and I had given him three. When he appeared, it was just in time for the first, a two-step. The second would follow directly after, and the third, I knew already, from a note sent me in haste, he would have to miss. Do you care for this? he asked out of breath with his hurry to dress and sprint over from the far-off line of bachelor quarters. If you don't, will you come outside and see the moon rise? It's going to be a great sight. There is no poetry in a two-step. And if there were, it would have been lost in hopping up and down with Tony. So I chose the moon. I thought the moon a perfectly safe object to gaze at, with such a jolly young man, who made jokes at everything in the heavens or upon the earth. And unsuspectingly, I went with him to a nook on the veranda screened off with tall plants from an adjacent hammock. It was a nook intended for two and no more. There were a great many nooks of that sort on Mrs. Kilburn's veranda. She specialized in flirtation architecture. Tell me about everything, please, I cheerfully began. We haven't very long, have we? That's the worst of it, said Tony. And that's why I must be careful to tell you only the important things. There's just one that really interests me. What's that? I asked eagerly. I hope not that you expect fighting. No such luck, I'm afraid. But I'm not worrying about that now. What I want to tell you is this. And to my stupefaction, he shot a proposal at my head, as if it came out of a field gun. I knew he liked me, and liked to be with me, but I couldn't associate the idea of anything so serious as marriage with Tony Dalziel. I gasped and said he couldn't mean it, but he assured me that he did, and a dictionary full of other assurances besides. Perhaps if I had not seen Eagle Marsh and fallen in love with him once and forever, I might have thought twice before saying no to Tony, if only for the pride of being engaged sooner than die, and when I wasn't yet eighteen. Tony Dalziel was what all women call such a dear. And besides, he had, or would have, plenty of money, a consideration in our family. 
I could imagine what a rage father would be in with me if he knew what I was doing at that moment, calmly refusing a heaven-sent opportunity. But Eagle March, though he was not for me, made all the difference, and put my heart into a convent where it was now undergoing its novitiate. I let the opportunity slip and told Tony how sorry I was to hurt him, but he wasn't inclined to take that for an answer. He wanted to know if I wouldn't leave it open in case anything happened to make me change my mind. I warned him that so far as I could see, I would never change it, but if an optimist will op, as Tony remarked, what can you do? You can't prevent his opping. And rather than hear an irrevocable word, he bade me goodbye while I protested. This was in the midst of what should have been his second dance, and I didn't feel equal to going indoors again directly after that scene, even to tango. I asked Tony to leave me where I was to gather up my wits. And when he had darted away, I sat quite still for a few minutes. I had no engagement until the time for my one dance with Eagle March should come, and as Tony hadn't given me much chance for gazing at the great sight he had brought me out to see, I tried to cool my brain with moonlight. But I had forgotten all about the hammock on the other side of the flower screen. I remembered it only when I heard footsteps and a creaking of chairs as someone, or rather some two, sat down. Good gracious, I said to myself, now what shall I do? For as the pair came to a halt, they went on with their conversation, which had evidently reached a critical point. I recognized the man's voice, and it was that of Eagle March. I knew as well as if I had already seen her that the girl must be Diana. I knew also that she would never forgive me if I popped out at this moment like the wrong figure on a barometer. Nothing on earth would make her believe that I hadn't been spying. For though Di didn't realize how much and in what way I cared for Eagle, she often teased me about being jealous because my great chum had forsaken me for her. If at any time she could call him away from me by a glance or a smile, it amused her to do so, and she would believe I was revenging myself in the best way I could on this their last night. I had half jumped up from the low seat which Tony had shared with me, but on second thoughts I sat down again. She won't let him say much, I thought, so there'll be nothing to overhear. Anyhow, I can stop my ears if worse comes to worse. But before I had time to resolve on this precaution, I heard Eagle say, If it wasn't for the money, I shouldn't feel I had the right. The rest was silence, for I kept my resolution and refused to catch another syllable. Yet those words had set me thinking hard. If Eagle were telling Di that he was now certain to come in for his aunt's fortune, she might look upon him as a bird in the hand, 
whereas a notorious flirt like major van dyke might be worth no more than two in the bush with the salt cellar empty i struggled to find consolation by reminding myself that if di did marry eagle she might make him happy provided there were enough money for everything she wanted and if he were willing to cut the army for her sake and live mostly in england she wasn't an ill-natured or sharp-tongued girl when things went as she wished i reflected and if he were content to sacrifice his career for love of her they might get on very well together but what desolating words to use in connection with eagle march get on well together he wasn't one to be satisfied with mere contentment where he had hoped for rapture i sat with my ears stopped until suddenly the two began speaking in a much louder tone and a third voice that of a man joined the conversation then i decided that i might come back to life again and as i let my tired arms drop i became aware that the newcomer was sidney van dyke he was telling di that this was his dance and that he had been looking for her everywhere i heard kilburn mention that the old man had sent for you march and i know that they're on your scent he announced in that case i may not see you again lady diana eagle said peggy and i are going with mrs kilburn and a lot of others to wave to you for good luck when you start answered di rather nervously i thought i'm glad we shall have a last glimpse of you all replied eagle but i'm afraid i shan't get a word with you then so i'll bid you good-bye now he spoke in quite a matter-of-fact way but i who knew every tone of his voice guessed what it covered and i could almost feel the pressure of his hand as it clasped dies with major van dyke mercilessly looking on i wondered whether she had been cruel or kind in a moment he was gone and with a stab of pain i realized that if the colonel had sent for him he must miss out his dance with me would he even remember it would he scribble me a line of farewell i longed to run out and catch him before he went if only for a word but i dared not dash past di and give her the shock of learning that i had been within three yards of her all the time again i was trapped unless di and major van dyke should go indoors to dance but no sooner was eagle march out of earshot than van dyke asked di to stay of course we've known all along that we might get marching orders he said and there was no harm in my hearing that it's a surprise only to those outside the adjutant had been fussing over stores and ammunition and target practice has been a confounded bore all the same at the end the move's been sprung on us just when we'd forgotten to expect it i feel as if i'd wasted a lot of precious time one way or another but it isn't too late yet lady di if you i stopped up my ears again so effectively that i heard no more and a few minutes later was flabbergasted when diana and he suddenly broke upon me from behind the screen of plants my first thought was that di had suspected my presence there and had wanted to pounce but she gave a jump and a cry of surprise as she saw me sitting bolt upright on the bench 
and my fingers stuffed into my ears. Good gracious, Peg, she gasped. How long have you been here? Ever since before you came, I answered. I might have put it differently by telling tales and so serving Eagle March's cause, perhaps, but no matter how thoroughly I disapproved of her, I couldn't give my own sister away. I didn't like to come out, you see, for fear you mightn't like it. But I haven't heard anything you've said, if that interests you to know. I don't care whether you've heard it or not, said Di, trying to speak playfully, but unable to keep sharpness out of her tone. Major Van Dyke thought this was a nicer seat than the hammock to rest in, so he brought me to it. Of course, we'd no idea anyone was, was hiding here. Well, there won't be anyone now. I'm free to move, I snapped. I'm only too thankful to have a chance to get back to the ballroom. You've made me miss a dance. We've made you? I like that, gurgled Di. But I waited for no more. I skipped away toward the nearest long window without looking round, and was just in time to meet my partner in search of me, the partner after Eagle March and a brother officer of his. Our dance, said he, and here's something March asked me to hand you. He's been called away. The something was a leaf torn out of a notebook and neatly folded into a cocked hat. It was rather appropriate that Eagle's goodbye to me should come in this form, because I had given him the notebook for a birthday present only a week before. I saved up my pennies to get a good one, and have his initials in silver fastened onto the khaki-colored Morocco cover. The paper of the book itself and the refills were also khaki-colored, to match the cover, with lines in very faint blue. I had wanted my little gift to be as distinctive as possible, and had taken a great deal of pains to choose a notebook different from all others, little dreaming what was fated to hang on the difference. Quietly but carefully, I undid the paper-cocked hat and read the few penciled words. So disappointed, dear little friend, not to have my dance with you, but I'm called back to work. Congratulate me. I've got almost the promise I wanted. The next best thing, anyhow. Farewell for a while. Write to me to El Paso like the good girl you are. I shall look for you at the train tomorrow morning early, though we may not have a chance to speak. Yours ever. E.M. I folded up the note and tucked it into the neck of my dress. Then I danced. And all of the rest of the evening I danced. Yet I thought only of one thing, the half-veiled confidence Eagle had given me. Apparently Di had said something calculated to send him away happy. But Major Van Dyke had looked far from sad when he walked into the ballroom with Di after their tete-a-tete on the veranda in my deserted nook. I felt something was wrong and determined to have it out with Diana the minute I could get her alone. My chance came sooner than I expected, for just before supper, she tore her frock and wanted me to run up with her to the dressing room and mend it. A maid would make an awful mess of the thing, she said, but you'll know what to do and it'll take only a few minutes. We had the dressing-room to ourselves, for Mrs. Kilburn's French maid, who was in charge, 
had slipped away probably for a sly peep at the dancing when i had di at my mercy holding her by a trail of gold fringe i opened fire are you engaged to eagle march i flashed out certainly not di flashed back what makes you think such a thing you said you didn't hear in haste she cut her sentence short realizing how she had given herself away she would have gone on quickly but i broke in you ask what makes me think such a thing when i told you that i didn't hear a word of your talk which shows that if i had heard i might have thought of it well i did not hear but all the same i think you needn't then she assured me if i am engaged to anyone it is to sidney van dyke but i tell you as much as that only to prove there's nothing between me and captain march it's in strict confidence and you must be sure to keep the secret peg till i'm ready to have it come out nothing's to be said until this mexican bother is over can you make the fringe look right yes if you give me time i answered but di i won't have you playing tricks with eagle march i simply won't stand it it's horrid of you to suggest that i would do such a thing diana protested virtuously who said i secure in my knowledge that she dared not move i know you pretty well di and although you can be quite a darling when you like you'd do anything anything whatever that was for your own interests no matter how much it hurt others you'd better tell me the truth because i'm sure to find out and if you mean to hurt or deceive eagle march i'll stop you from doing it i don't care how much it may cost me or you or anyone else but him if ever there was a thorough little pig it's you peggy said di thorough pigs seem to run in our family i ruthlessly retorted but they're intelligent animals and this one has rooted up something already i believe you've practically promised to marry both these men and persuaded them to keep the secret so you can have time to decide which one will be the better to take in the end you make me out a perfect wretch di moaned piteously peering over her shoulder to see how the repairs were getting on so you are a beautiful one but a wretch you like them both eagle and major van dyke you like eagle because he's so popular and such a hero as an airman and you like major van dyke because he's awfully good-looking and awfully rich and an awful flirt you were worried to death for fear he wouldn't propose and i'd have known tonight from the change in your face even if you hadn't told me that he had spoken at last but eagle spoke too and you sent him away happy i know that though the only other thing i do know for certain is that you think now he's sure to get his aunt's money it's not a tremendous lot anyhow di gave herself away again he won't have more than two or three hundred thousand dollars at the most if only it were pounds everyone says sidney van dyke has a million he's one of the few very rich men in the american army but he can't fly and he can't invent things and he'll never be the man in any career that eagle will i reminded her 
You know this as well as I do. That's why you're waiting. Don't you think you'd better explain your true state of mind to me if you don't want me to work against you? You're a cat as well as a pig, you little horror. What a museum combination. Don't twitch or the fringe will go crooked. Is Eagle's rich aunt likely to die? Well, yes, she is, Diana admitted. She's very old, you know. She had a third stroke of paralysis. If Eagle could have got leave, he would have gone to her. But that was out of the question as things are. Did he tell you about her, or was it someone else who gave you the news? It was someone else, of course. Naturally, I wanted to make sure, so I sympathized with him on his aunt's illness. He had only just heard about it himself. He's always been fond of her, and he said he couldn't have had the heart to come to a dance if it hadn't been his last night, and the only way to see me before he left for Texas. But he told me that Mrs. Cabot's death would make him comparatively a rich man. Those were the words he used. I don't think he's sure how much he'll get. It was from Kitty that I heard what Mrs. Cabot is likely to leave. And as likely isn't the same as certain you're hanging fire till she's dead, I explained Diana to herself. You make me out heaps worse than I am, she reproached me. If I haven't given an absolute definite answer to Eagle March or Sidney Van Dyke, it's, it's because of this expedition they're both going on. They may get some chance to distinguish themselves. You're such a practical little person that you can't realize the romantic sort of feeling I have about such things. If I marry a man who isn't of my country, I should like him to be a great hero, whom everyone would read about and admire. I've told each of them to work and do his best for my sake. There'll probably be no opportunity for anything heroic in such an expedition as this, said I, living up to the reputation, ill-deserved for practicality, which Di wished to thrust on me in contrast with herself. That's what they both said, she agreed, but one never knows. And so you get a storybook heroine excuse to wait. Little viper. The cat-pig viper won't sting unless you force it to, I guaranteed. There, your dress is all right again. You could have finished five minutes ago if you hadn't been determined to lecture me. Thanks all the same. You have your uses, though they're not always sweet, like those of adversity. We went our separate ways with the men who were waiting to take us into supper. And we didn't come together again till the dance was over. And everyone but the party, specially asked to stay, had gone home. We heard the bugles sounding reveille, then presently the beat of drums and the rumble of the field guns going to the station. When Captain Kilburn announced that the entertainment was well underway, we started in his big limousine. Shivering a little, in evening cloaks flung on hastily over low-necked dresses. We waited till the platform was clear of the great mass of khaki-clad young men, and then timidly appeared 
to stare through the dusk of early morning in search of friends. Ours wasn't the only party engaged in that business. Others were there, and swathed figures of girls and women in rich colored cloaks over pale tinted ball gowns glimmered in the dawn like a row of tall flowers crowding along the edge of a garden path. My eyes were trying to find Eagle March when Tony Dalziel spoke by my shoulder and made me jump. I've just a minute, he said when I turned. I want to ask you if you'll forget you turned me down last night and be friends again. I will if you will. Will you? Yes, I returned gladly, shaking hands. I'm so glad you've realized that you were silly to feel about me like that. Why you or any man should, I can't think. Can't you? That's because you haven't seen yourself or heard yourself and don't know what a quaint, darling sort of girl you are. But never mind. Let it go at that. We'll be friends. And promise if my mother and Millie ask you to do something for them, you will. Anything I possibly can, I warmly answered. Goodbye, good luck. He was off. I meant to follow him with my eyes and wave to him when he looked out of his window in the train, but before he appeared again I caught sight of Eagle March on a car platform and forgot Tony, just as Eagle had forgotten me. Behind Eagle's slight figure towered massively Major Van Dyke's splendid bulk, and as I waved my handkerchief to Eagle while the train slid slowly out, I was vaguely aware of Diana's outstretched arm and a butterfly flutter of something white and small. Eagle's eyes went past me to her, though his smile was for me also and I was able deftly to kill her two birds with one stone, at the last. Her farewell look and gesture did equally well for both, yet each could take it wholly to himself. End of chapter 6 Recording by John Brandon